0: Good morning. morning. Glad you're here today to start a new week with us here at Great Oaks. There's probably someone in this room you don't know, so before you leave we hope you'll meet someone and say hi to someone that you haven't met yet. We're trying to encourage each other to live for Christ. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we especially hope we can get to know you today before you leave and let us know if we can be a support to your faith in any way. Uh, We're trying to live for Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to join us in that. So if you have any questions about us, please, please let us know. Want to introduce a new member of our church family this morning? Before we get going, Colby Richardson, would you stand up? I've I've scared him for several weeks, and this is finally the week he gets to stand up. This is Colby. If you haven't met Colby yet, Uh, Colby's been around a while. He sort of grew up here with his dad, Matt, his older brother, Cameron. Uh, Cameron's gone off to college now. We see him around still every now and then. But Colby met with our elders. uh, I guess it's been about a month ago now to let them know he does officially want to be identified as part of the Great Oaks Church family under their leadership. Um, he's, a, he's a senior at Cordova High School. He likes junior ROTC, He enjoys youth group activities. He's always been involved in stuff here at Great Oaks, uh, youth group and lads to leaders. Colby's a talented guy, and I pick at him a lot, but Colby's a talented guy. He's done several devotionals here at Great Oaks, always does a great job. Takes his faith very seriously, and I appreciate that. Um, if you haven't met Colby, make sure you meet him. And even though he's been here for a long time, welcome him to Great Oaks anyway. Uh, We're glad you're here, Colby, and glad you like us enough to officially be part of our church family. All year long, we've been trying to see the big picture. That's been our theme, down to our last four weeks now of this theme. And sometimes we've taken our theme into December, and sometimes we haven't. This year, I'd like us to. I'd like us to take three of our last four weeks. We'll do something different on one of them, but three of our last four weeks to pull this theme together, hopefully in a final way, what we've done with it so far. We've tried to take, we've had here and there thoughts on what the big picture of life is all about. What we've tried to do mostly is get a big picture of the Bible. What What is the Bible really all about from beginning to end? And so some themes have risen to the top, things like sin and grace and choice and responsibility and consequences and God's love and, and Jesus, the cross, everything unites at the cross and, and the promise of eternity after this life. So many, so many spiritual themes have risen to the top and I hope that's what we're seeing is that life is not about just the stuff. It's not about just the things that go on. There's a bigger purpose to why we're here. And some of the verses we've seen that have gone along with that We've seen Jesus, for example, I didn't put this one up on the screen, but our main verse has been Jesus in Matthew sixteen twenty-six, when He says that even if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, what have you gained? And you just stop and you think about that verse for a while. It just makes me ask myself, what am I chasing after in life? And what am I worried about? And what, what am I pursuing? What's keeping me from thinking about the bigger stuff? He also said in the Sermon on the Mount, again, not what I put up here. I'll put these up in just a second. But in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, don't store up treasures here where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. All the stuff here disappears. One day it's all going to be gone. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that type of logic's hard to argue with. <laughs> Jesus knew what He was talking about. But a couple passages to write down as we, as we start to hit the final stretch of this theme. Write down 2 Peter 3 verse 11. Here in 2 Peter 3, Peter is reminding us in the whole chapter that all of this is going to disappear one day. And when you see the whole big picture of that, that the earth is we're on a linear track of time, but it's got an ending point. And when reminded that my life is going to end and this earth is going to end, it makes you think of things differently if you're reflecting on it the right way. And so in verse 10, he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So the earth is going to end. Then what does verse 11 say? Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's a big picture verse, isn't it? If you if you back up a little bit and you see the whole scope of things and you realize it's all gonna end, what sort of people ought you to be? You know, of all God's creation, we are the only ones as humans who have this ability in our spirits, in our minds, to sort of remove ourselves from the moment and to back up and to try to see things differently from a spiritual, eternal perspective. The animals don't do that. The plants don't do that. Nothing else in creation has this ability to remove ourselves and ask, am I on the right path or not? And in the big picture, am I going where I need to be or do I need to step back and try to see things a little more clearly? That's one of those verses that reminds us to do that. One more that will launch us into our lesson this morning. Psalm 90 and verse 12. It's a psalm of Moses, and it's about how life is short and how quickly it goes. Um, I think we, that hits us more at different points in our life. But here he says, you remember back in verse 10, he says, If our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength 80 years, even then they're just flying by, he says. And then verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days, to realize they're numbered, that there's only so many of them that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's a big picture verse. When I remember that I'm not going to be here forever and it's going to go quickly, I need to think about that and realize my days are numbered and that helps me give God a heart of wisdom. I've become convinced that seeing the big picture is a big part of what the Bible calls wisdom. In fact, there are three books that are usually called wisdom books in the Bible. Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And they're called wisdom books because they have some common terminology things about fearing the Lord is wisdom. We'll see that here this morning. And they all are about the idea, I believe, of trying to take a step back and see the big picture and ask yourself, how should you live? So what I want us to do is take three of our last four Sundays and just overview... Those three books, Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because they all ask what type of life should you be living type questions, and they all come from different perspectives and and asking different questions along that track. And so we're going to start today with Job, and we're going to do what God has allowed us to do, to take a step back and see the big picture. And if you know anything about Job, you know what the big picture of Job is asking. It's about the big picture of suffering. And so what I want us to do with our time that's left is to walk just a big picture story of Job. We're going to focus on a central part that points us to wisdom. And then I want us to ask what we learn about the big picture of life from the book of Job. Um, if you don't know the book of Job, uh, I'm probably moving through it too quickly this morning, but I hope if nothing else, you'll, you'll get the storyline. If you haven't read it for yourself, there's 42 chapters, but I think you'll benefit from reading it. And so if you haven't read it before, if you have your Bibles, you may want to open to Job 28 because that's the part I'm going to camp down on more than the others. The rest of it I'm going to sort of overview. But Job chapter 28, which I believe is essentially the center of the book. Uh, We're going to say some things about the center of the book as we get to it. But what does Job teach us about wisdom in the big picture? Well, here's what happens. First of all, Satan's temptations attack Job. We're given the big picture of suffering in Job. And we start out with a peek behind the curtain. Uh, the curtain of heaven, the curtain of eternity. And Satan comes before God and he's been wandering around the earth, Job 1 and 2 says. And God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? He's faithful. And Satan starts making excuses. Well, of course he's faithful. You've given him everything. He's, he's wealthy. He's got a great family. He's, he's got, everybody thinks he's wonderful. Of course he's following you. Um, take away his stuff. And we'll see if he follows you, Satan says. So God says, all right, you can take his stuff. And so he does. even takes his family. Uh, Satan takes all his stuff. Job stays faithful. He says, no, I'm going to stay with God when good comes, when bad comes. I'm going to stay with God. Satan comes back before God. And God says, hey, have you considered Job? You, you, you incited me against him without reason, God says. You've tempted him for no reason. You hadn't sinned in any way, but you've, you've taken away his stuff, and yet he is still faithful. Satan says, well, of course. You haven't hurt him. Right? Skin for skin, Satan says. Anybody will, will be fine with losing their stuff as long as they're not hurt. See if you, if you harm him with sickness and his flesh and, and see if he follows you. God says, okay, you can, you can tempt him. And so he gets these boils, these painful boils that break out all over him. And yet, even though he's got struggles with why is this happening, uh, like we all struggle with at different times, um, Job stays faithful to God. His integrity stands firm. But here's what happens. His friends come. You may know this part about the story, even if you know very little about Job. His friends come. He's got three of them that come to comfort him, chapter 2, verse 11 says. They want to come. They've heard about what's happened. So they've taken time out of their schedules. They travel and they come sit with Job. And first they just sit with him for seven days. But then they start talking. And they are convinced that the only reason anyone suffers, anyone, is because they've sinned. And so they, they know, they think, they know Job has sinned in some way. And we as good friends... <laughs> We need to convince Job to repent of whatever this sin is so that he can get his life back from God. But Job knows, and we know reading the book, Job's not suffering because he sinned. He's suffering because Satan has taken all this away from him. Um, they don't know that. And so they fight about why. And that's what most of the book is. Job and his friends battling back and forth why. And the friends keep saying, Job, listen to the message of the ages. When you sin, you suffer. And you're suffering, so you must sin. If you, if you thought much about logic, that doesn't make much sense. But that's what they thought. They thought that made perfect sense. Uh, sin does bring suffering, but that doesn't mean that all suffering is caused by sin. But they were convinced of, that it was. And so they said, Job, you've got to repent. And Job said, look, I don't know why this is happening. I don't think it's fair. I, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm wondering if God's being fair to me. But I haven't sinned. He said, I know I know everybody sins, but I haven't. There's no major sin that I've committed. I don't consciously know of any sins. And so they fight about this over and over and over. And then after they, they sort of grind their discussion to, to a halt in, verse, in chapter 28... There's this reflective pause. And, and it's a part of the book. Some people think Job is saying it, but I, a lot of people, and I'm one of these, I think it's just the narrator is giving us this little center section of the book before, it, before the book tumbles toward its, its ending point. And what this center section is all about is wisdom. And it starts off talking about, of all things, mining. And it says, men can mine anything from the earth. First 11 verses. Men can mine anything. He like, we get gold and silver and people can dig down and they're hanging underneath the ground. We can dig anything out of the earth. But then he says in verse 12 and following, but where do you find wisdom? And the implication is, you can't dig it out of the ground. You can't go out and get a, get a big instrument and, and, and dig it out and, and hang down beneath and chisel. You, you can't do any of that stuff. You don't find wisdom anywhere on earth. He says man doesn't even know its value in verse 13. It's not found in the land of the living. He says in verse 15, you can't buy it. No matter how much money you have, you can't buy wisdom. He says pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. He says in verse 23, there's only, there's only one that really knows wisdom, and that's God. The only place you're going to find it is God Himself. You're not going to find it from even your own experiences. You're not going to find it just from looking around enough. You're going to find it if God gives it to you. He says, God understands its way, He knows its place. And why does God know it? He sees the big picture. Verse 24 For He looks to the ends of the earth, He sees everything under the heavens. He goes on to say, God created all this. He put it all together. God is the one who can see more clearly than any of us can see. And so God sees the big picture. If you want wisdom, Job 28 pauses to tell us, you've got to go to God. And then the last verse, I think the key verse of this little reflective pause in the center of Job, says, to man, he said, that's a capital H, to man, God said, behold the fear of the Lord... That is wisdom. That phrase is found in all three wisdom books, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Humbling yourself before God, recognizing that He is the Creator and we are the created, recognizing that He knows what He's talking about even when we don't. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And the question you might ask is, what does this have to do with the rest of the book? Like, why, Why as we're trying to figure out why Job is suffering, why do we have this pause and talk about wisdom? Is this just to, to waste time before he goes to the end of the book? Um, I think he's saying, when you're suffering, it brings up a lot of questions about, about life, doesn't it? I was talking to uh, one of our elders here, Don Hudson, recently, and Don works in a hospital and around a lot of people who are thinking about bigger things, and he was... He was saying that. He was saying that sometimes when you see people who are facing these bigger life issues, they're just thinking at a different place than a lot of us normally do. And he was complimenting them for that, that we need to think in that way more often than we do. When we're going through tough times, it brings a lot of, what am I? where am I going? Why is this happening? How should I react? All those types of questions bubble up to the surface very quickly in times of suffering. And so I think... What the, the pause in the book is trying to say is what Job is wrestling with and what his friends are wrestling with is how do we face suffering with godly wisdom. And from there the book rolls downhill. Job gives his final statement. He says, I, I have not done anything consciously wrong gets close to crossing a line of not being humble before God. But he says, God, this, if I've done anything wrong, I deserve it. I'll take it. But God, I don't know what I've done. And so he says, I, I, I'm innocent. I know I'm innocent. Um, God's going to answer that. But then Elihu, this other person who hasn't even been around, not part of the three friends, he speaks for a while, and then God speaks. And God doesn't really give an answer except this. God's answer is about God's power and about our trust. In fact, if you haven't read through it, and if you read through it for the first time, you might ask yourself, what's the answer here? Because God just starts saying, all right, who is this that's saying I'm not being fair? I'm talking about Job, because Job's gotten real close to that. He says, I made all of this. He starts talking about creation. You might ask, what, what's, where are you going with this, God? He starts talking about creation and how he made it all and how he still takes care of it and how he knows what he's doing. It's all about his power. It's all about how he he hasn't left and he hasn't missed something. And and Job's not a mistake in the whole thing of the earth. I've, I've made it all and I know what I'm doing. He talks about his power as he goes on. There's really two parts of his speeches to Job. In the second part, he talks about these two creatures that the Bible just calls behemoth and Leviathan. And people wonder if these were where dinosaurs are just a poetic way to describe powerful animals, and I'll let other people argue about that. But whatever it is, there's these giant animals, and God's point is, I'm bigger than them. I made them. I'm bigger than them. I'm big enough to run the world, Job, I promise. And Job gets that message. When Job finally speaks, he answers the Lord. He says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's not... He's not complaining anymore. He's not accusing God of being unfair anymore. He says, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? That's what God had said to Job. So Job's talking about himself there. He says, Who who am I? We might paraphrase it. Who am I that have spoken without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. God, I should have thought that I'm dealing with issues much bigger than I can understand. Issues about suffering and why and when and how. Um, you're justice, God. So I'm talking about things that I'm never going to be able to understand. Therefore, I retract, Job says, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job never finds out why he's suffering. He's never told we're suffering because Satan said you wouldn't be faithful. And so you're being tempted to see if that's true. Not told that. All he's told is God saying... I'm big enough. Please trust me. And when Job humbles himself, God starts restoring blessings back to Job. What do we get from all that? What's the big picture of suffering that we might learn that we're going to need as we face suffering in our own lives and as we try to take those steps back and ask why and, and what direction should I go and how should I respond? What do we learn from all that? First of all, I think we all learn from experience as well as from Job, uh, life is often difficult and it's often unfair. Your parents probably told you that a hundred times. You didn't believe it. At least that's, that's my experience. Until you come across things that aren't fair. <laughs> and then you realize, hey, they knew what they were talking about. Life, life isn't always fair. And so you're going to have people that let you down. You're going to have things that just by the, the random uh, bad fortune of life are going to happen. You're going to have things that you're going to mess up on, but you're going to sometimes feel like your consequences are worse than maybe someone else's consequences who did the same thing. You're going to see people treated differently in the world. You're going to see all sorts of bad stuff happen. And and, and we can let that just tear us up the rest of our life, or we can try to handle it with biblical wisdom. But we do notice life is difficult and life is unfair. Sin, this is not the world God wanted it to be. We are sinners. We hurt each other. God's given us choice. Um, and, and when we act on those choices, we don't always make the right ones. So life is often difficult. It's often unfair. Here are some ways you can react to that. Some ways different people react to that. First of all, some people react with unbelief. Well, if this world is not fair and it's not right, then I just don't believe in God. I talked about this in a Bible class a few weeks ago. This is the most common sentiment of modern day atheism, at least in our culture. Today's atheism in America is usually not a thought out, I just trust science more than I trust the Bible. Sometimes it's that. But, but it, what it usually is, it, it comes from an emotional anger at the world. The world is not fair. My life is not fair. I'm not getting what I think I deserve. And so I'm mad at God and my anger at God turns against God to the point that I'm just going to say I don't believe in Him anymore. I hope we won't go down that path. But we need to know on the front end, life is unfair. And we need to know on the front end that it is possible to go down that path because some people do. You may know somebody. I do. I, you probably do too. Uh, know people who have chosen that path in their life based on the, what they consider the unfairness of the world. Not quite as harsh as unbelief, but close to it, you could react with bitterness. You could just get bitter at the world. Bitter at all the missed opportunities, the bad breaks you got, the, the ways people hurt you and held you back when you should have had something better. You can just be mad all the time. Maybe holding on to your faith in some way, but, but just bitter at life. Be careful about that. Hebrews 12, 15 talks about, he, right after a section about going through difficulties in life. He says in verse 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Like, don't, don't back yourself away from the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. See, sometimes people let roots of bitterness grow, and it produces this life anger and, and, and God anger. And even if they don't reject God, they let it, they, they start, their heart gets harder, their thinking gets darker. They start telling themselves, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get what I deserve or to overcome whatever bad things... Don't go down the path of bitterness. Life is unfair. It's going to be that way. But there's a bigger picture. There are are bigger things. Or, Or we could respond with trust. Patient, sometimes painful trust. That even if I don't know why, trusting that God knows what He's doing. And someone on the outside says, Is that crazy? Like, are you Christians crazy to say that you know, even though I don't understand, I'm just going to hang in there with the Lord. I'm just going to keep living faithfully. I'm just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. Are, are you crazy for doing that? I don't think so. I think there's good reasons even to believe when I don't understand. Let me share a few of those with you uh, before we close this lesson out. A few reasons why I think it's reasonable to trust even when we don't have the answers. Uh, the first one, life examples. God's tried to give us some. God's tried to show us some people to to make sure we have the big picture of suffering in life. People like Joseph, who, who was mistreated by his brothers, lost what many people would call the best years of your life, ages 17 through 30, thrown into slavery, bad break, people don't come through for him over and over and over, things are terrible. If you don't know that life story... Uh, sit down this afternoon with Genesis 37 through 50 and just read through the life of Joseph and see how since Joseph stayed faithful and only since Joseph stayed faithful, God was able to bring great things out of Joseph's life. God wants us to see the big picture. Job. Job stays faithful. Had some tough questions. But since he stayed faithful, think about all the millions of people through the years who have been held up in difficult times by being able to see the big picture of Job's life. And in fact, that's what our scripture reading was this morning. James 5, 10 and 11. He says, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured, who just kept going. You have heard of the endurance of Job. He, he kept going and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. God has shown us the big picture of several lives so that we can see if we will just hang in there, just like Joseph, just like Job, God can bring some good things out. But I've got to stay with Him. Second reason to trust. Think about God's nature and God's promises. If you really believe in God... The God, the, the true God, the one that made us, the one that gave us His Word. God is all good. He cannot not be good. He, he can only be good. He cannot be unfair. He's a God of justice. He cannot be unloving. And so whatever I'm going through, it's not because God doesn't know what He's doing. It's not because He doesn't care about me. It's not because there's no justice. God, God sees something God knows something, and He sees that in the big picture that I can't always see, He sees this is, this is going to be okay. His promises that go along with that are things like Romans 8.28, where He tries to tell us, just trust me, He says, "...we know that, all, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose." God causes all things to work together for good. Doesn't say God, God that everything is good. Doesn't say that. Um, it says God can bring everything together—the good, the bad, the in between—and cause it all to come together to produce good. Which, if I understand it right, means trying to get us to live for Him, to be with Him for eternity. That's what good is. Good is not just skipping in the fields all through life. Good is, hey, I want to be with the Lord. I want to be with God's people in eternity. And so God, is, God can bring everything together for good, but that's to a certain group of people, isn't it? To those who love God. Am I going to love God and stay with God and care about His purpose enough to see Him bring all that stuff together? Because if Joseph would have jumped off ship, he never would have seen the blessings of God come together. If Job would have quit, he never would have seen the blessings of God come together. And so I need to trust God's nature and God's promises that if I just keep going, God is big enough and wise enough and loves me enough, He's going to bring something out of it and I'm going to get to see it in this life or the next. And the last reason I've got this morning is maybe something you've probably seen in your own life, your own life experiences. Because I imagine you've had times when you didn't understand, and then later you looked back at something and it made sense. That even though God hadn't given you an answer, He didn't write you a letter, He haven't got to talked to Him in eternity just yet, but you could see some things. You could see that you know even though that time period was miserable, you know, as I look back at it, God brought some good stuff out of that, for me or for someone else or both or lots of people. God, God, God brought good things out of what I thought was miserable. And if you hold on to those reminders, you can face the next one with more trust. Because you've seen in its small form, God knows what He's doing. What's the big picture? What's the wisdom in the difficulties of life? God is trying to show us that in the life in the book of Job. If I'll just remember, it's difficult in the moment to try to take a step back. Try to remind myself, God knows what He's doing Even if I don't understand, I'm going to hold on to Him. And that's what I want us to end with. Whatever life throws at us, whatever life throws at us, whatever Satan throws at us, that we don't always know what he's doing and why, let's determine ourselves, we're going to cling to the Lord. Because even though everything else is going to disappear and everything else is unsteady and unstable and can disappear tomorrow, God is the immovable one. God is the source of strength. And if I will cling to Him, I will find out that God was worth trusting all along. And I pray that's what you and I will do. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that You are alive and working in Your world. And Lord, we know it's a sinful world. We know it's a world that we have broken. But God, we, we are thankful that Your grace is still there and that Your strength is still there. And even though we don't always understand why things happen, Lord, we beg you to give us uh, an unwavering sense of commitment that we will stand with you no matter what comes, trusting and knowing that whether in this life or the next, we'll get to see your goodness and get to see that you were there all along uh, and had a plan. We pray, God, for the faith that we'll get to see all those blessings. We beg you to hold up all of us, especially those that are going through trials this morning. We pray you'll be with them in a special way that they'll see your comfort and your strength and that you'll be glorified through that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you're not a child of God, we're about to sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to take a public step of faith, we're a group of people trying to live for the Lord. We'd love to see you become a Christian today. Uh, if you want to see God really work in your life, you need to give your life to Him, to trust Him. Uh, if you're ready to believe, confess your faith in Jesus this morning, turn your life around in repentance, we'd love to see you become a Christian by being baptized into Christ. If you have questions about anything you see on that screen please talk to us. Uh, We'd love to talk to you about the most important decision you're ever going to make, whether you're going to follow the Lord or not. Or if we can pray for you about anything, we would love to lift you up in prayer before the God who can answer prayers and do do more things than we can do about anything. The God who runs the world, who can hold you up. Uh, We'd love to lift you up before Him today if you'd like us to. If you to take a public step of faith this morning, please come now while we stand and while we sing.